good to see everyone this morning. You can open your Bibles. Tripping already over my tongue. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 this morning for our scripture reading. We had a encouraging and wonderful time at family camp out last weekend. Thanks out goes out to all those who uh, had a part in all its planning and preparation and, and all those who helped cook and, and all that went into it. And for those who came, it you provided fellowship and opportunity for encouraging one another in our Savior together. So uh, we thank the Lord for the good weather and the profitable time we had last weekend. Psalm 37, beginning with verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as a green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret and only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, Father. We're so thankful that he came to, uh, to purchase our salvation. He came willingly, Father, to bear our sins on the cross. And you sent him in your great love for us to take our place. And Father, we're thankful for that this morning. It is the Lord Jesus that unites us, that brings us here. It is his word that we desire to hear today. Thank you for the Bible that you've given us. Father, thank you that they are the words of life. They are the eternal words. They are the living words. They are the, they are the words of healing and help and rescue. And Father, as we approach your word today, may you be worshipped in our songs, our praises, and the thoughts that we, uh, that we think and the things we learn today as we study your word. May you be glorified. May we see the beauty and wonder of your great love for us and of the person of Christ. And Father, you, may you take the things we learn today and make them real in our lives. Father, grow us in your grace, grow us in our love for you, and grow us in our service for you. And so we're thankful for each one who's here today, Father, and for the, those who are away from us today, wherever they are, that pray, Father, you'd watch over them, and that you would draw them to your side, that we as a church family and as a, might be a witness here, might be the light that we ought to be, might be reaching out to those around us. And Father, it makes us think about those in our lives, Father, who do not know Christ, Father, who do not know their sins are forgiven, do not aren't assured of eternal life. Those who may be facing the struggles of life without the friendship and guidance of, of their great God, Father, we pray that you would prepare their hearts to good news. And Father, help us to be ready and always to give an answer and opportunity, Father. Uh, may you grant opportunity to share with them the good news of the love of Christ. And so, Father, embolden us for that, to that end, we pray today as well. And so, Father, we just pray today that you would be our teacher and guide as we look into your word. May you enlighten our understanding, and by your spirit and your grace, make these things real in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You can turn back to Genesis chapter 27, where we left off a couple weeks ago. Genesis 27. 
We've been looking at the life of Isaac and his family, and yet what we've seen in our short time here as we've returned to the book of Genesis and picked it up with Isaac is that the Bible tells it like it is, does it not? And what we have in front of us today in chapter 27 here of Genesis is, is really uh, a sad story. It is a really a tragic story. It is a story of a family that was, in today's um, terminology, dysfunctional. And families are messy, aren't they? Families can be messy. Uh, church families can be messy. And it's simply because sinners who live together can often create problems, don't they? Conflict, you know, when pride rears its ugly head, when, when personal agendas are at the forefront, and so on. And in this chapter, we have a case of two parents playing favorites with their children. One favored the one, one favored the other. We've seen that already in our study. And we recognize that's hurtful, isn't it? We when, when parents play favorites. It's hurtful to the, one, to the one not favored, not loved as he ought to be loved, and it's harmful to the one favored who's often then spoiled, and together it creates a competition and division within the family. So this story here in this chapter is really about how not to live as a family in reality. And it's about what happens when we allow our flesh, my agenda, to direct family life. Instead of considering God's instructions for a family, God's instructions how we are to live with one another. And therefore, what's presented to us here is a, is a recognition that whether it's marriage, parenting, relationships, com comes down to a choice. It's a simple choice. Are we going to live God's way or my way? And the consequences of living my way are disastrous, and that's really what is seen here. So let's pick it up in the first four verses here. We're just going to step through this chapter here this morning. Verses 1 says, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now what we have here is Isaac's desire to fulfill his responsibility to bless the firstborn, the oldest son, and basically pass the torch of who was, who was going to lead the family. And yet we remember back in chapter 25 at the birth of these two boys that God had told Rebecca that the older would serve the younger. That was God's sovereign plan. God said that's going to happen. And what we don't know here is did, did Rachel ever share that with Jacob? It doesn't tell us whether she did. You assume as a wife she did, but she may not have. We do see in that passage that, that Isaac favored Esau and, and Rebekah favored Jacob. But if Isaac did know that God had told her that was going to happen, then here Isaac is ignoring God's declaration and favoring his eldest son. If not, he's simply carrying out his responsibility to pass on the blessing to his oldest son. In, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that Isaac blessed both his boys in faith. He and I think what that seems to indicate is Isaac did his responsibility to pass on the blessing to, the, to his sons. Well, as we go on here, we find out that Isaac has his plan, but here we have two 
parents that aren't on the same page, Rebecca has her own plan. Let's pick it up in verse 5 where we left off. Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. Deception, wasn't it? Here we find Rebecca's plan was, a, was one which she's going to deceive her husband in order to accomplish her desires. Jacob is her favorite and she wanted him to receive the blessing due to the firstborn. And I don't think you see anything in this passage that indicates that she was simply trying to accomplish God's will. There's nothing in here of that. There's no remembrance of God's promise. There's no consideration of his will. There's no prayer. There's no, no asking God, is this how it's going to happen? She was just driving forward with her desires to see her, her son, her favorite son, that is, to be favored as the firstborn. She wasn't trying to accomplish God's will at all. She was simply trying to accomplish her will. And if she was seeming to try to accomplish God's will, she, she had forgotten and didn't realize that God doesn't need our help in accomplishing his will, does he? We see in Isaiah 40, in that great passage about the greatness of God, that God doesn't need our help to get his will done. Isaiah 40, 13 says, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? God doesn't need our advice or our ideas. Does he? And later in verse 22, it says this. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And see, God reminds us frequently in Scripture of who he is because we have a tendency to get big, too big for our britches spiritually, and we think we know how to run things and we don't need any help. And even Rebecca here was beyond that. She was beyond not only asking God for help, she was determined to accomplish her, her own will in the process. And that reminds me of James chapter 4 that gives us the instructions when it comes to living life before God, it's where it says we are, to, we are to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift us up. If we want to be lifted up, if we want God's best, if we want God's blessing, if we want to enjoy God's goodness in our life to the fullest, then we're to humble ourselves before God. And Rebecca needed to recognize two things here. That who God is and that, his, that he is able to accomplish his will in his way on his schedule and that his ways are best. But she didn't have that vision of God. Instead, she had a vision of her plan and she was blinded to the greatness of God and the awesomeness of his will in the shadow of her plans. And it reminds us that to you and I, that we are always do God's work God's way. There's never an excuse for stepping outside of doing God's will God's way, whether it's raising a family, running our business, serving in ministry. God is honored, and the works of our hands are blessed when we live according to his will. That's God's will for us, and we trust him with the results, do we not? Well, that was absent here, wasn't it? No humility. It was simply deception to accomplish my own will. 
Well, then we find out that Jacob gets a little worried about this plan. The next couple of verses, verse 11 says, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. I'm a smooth-skinned man. You know, Jacob's a hairy guy. His, his back's like Velcro. When you take his shirt off, you can hear it rip. <laughs> and, and she says, perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to deceive him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. And so he's worried he's going to get found out because they're two completely different people. What do you see here? It's simply the fear of getting caught, isn't it, and cursed. There's nothing about what is right and wrong. He's not aghast at his mom's plan to deceive her husband. He's simply concerned for getting caught. And that's common today, isn't it, in our lives? You know, when sometimes when people, you know, withhold from doing wrong, it's not because they have a sense of right and wrong. It's because they don't want to get busted. You know, I, have, I had a father who was, I call him a big German with a short temper, you know, and, and if I walked the straight and narrow way when I was a kid, it wasn't necessarily for a sense of right and wrong. It was for the sense of the back of his hand, so to speak. And, and what's lacking here is the fear of God, isn't it? Psalm 36.1 says, An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's what's lacking here. An awesome respect for an awesome God and his ways. That's what's lacking. Jacob wasn't concerned about that. He was simply concerned for his own skin. He's reminded of the Lord Jesus in Luke 6 where he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Well, that's, a that's a short verse, but a hard-hitting verse, isn't it? And I think there's an awful lot of Christians that live that way. It doesn't make sense to say, Lord, Lord, on Sunday, and you know, lift up our hands and, and want to bring praise to the Lord and Sing, sing these wonderful songs about, that make us a liar about how much I love Jesus. And, you know, and then we don't do the things that he says Monday through Saturday. That's what he's saying here. There's inconsistency. It's not that we're all going to be perfect, but as Christians we have a desire to, to honor God when we live with the fear of the Lord, an awesome respect, a reverential fear of who God is. But what's happening here in this chapter is what happens when we respect our ways and our desires above the fear of the Lord. And that, when that happens, we serve God on our terms and on our schedule, which is pretty common, I think, among Christians today. But the really, in reality, that's not service, is it? When we serve God on our terms and on our schedule, it's simply easing our conscience before God, doing our duty to make ourselves feel good about ourselves, Rather than, rather than arising from a deep love for God, a deep respect for God, and a deep desire to honor Him. That's what God wants here, and that's what's lacking here. Last Sunday we talked about, at family camp, about loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, which equates to serving Him with the whole heart, seeking Him with the whole heart, in our love for Him. And Jacob here wasn't concerned at all about God's glory, just his own skin. But Rebecca's going to press on in verse 13. Notice she says here, But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food, the bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So she had it all covered. The hairy skin, in fact, the smell of his clothes you're going to see later. She knew what, what to expect. And she, 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 this is a well-thought-out plan. This wasn't a knee-jerk, you know, last-minute plan. 
She knew what it was going to take to deceive her husband. And what's, what's, what's startling here is at the in verse 13, when she says, let your curse be on me. A blatant disregard for consequence. She didn't care what it's going to cost. She just wanted her will accomplished. And that's what happens in our lives. We often get so determined to have our way that we don't care the consequence. Sometimes we think, you know, as believers, we fail to look down the road and, and consider the consequence of our actions. But some things we just could care less. I'm going to do it no matter what it costs. That's the flesh. And, and this typifies the blindness to not only how our actions affect us, but affect others as well. And that's why as Christians, we delight in our trust of the Lord, because he sees down the road. And when we do things his way, when we live according to his word, we can be safe. We can trust his word and trust his promises, even when they, especially when they seem to contradict what I think is best for me, and we find stability and safety peace and peace there, don't we? You ha also have to wonder what this did to their relationship as husband and wife, don't you? Deception, lies, and manipulation probably would blow up a marriage, wouldn't you think? If that, those things are practiced, and yet they often are today. And really this tragedy is that they prevent two people from enjoying the oneness they have in Christ as they seek to grow together as one in Christ, thereby bringing glory to God. And we're reminded of Ephesians chapter 5 that reminds us that marriage is the picture of Christ in the church. It's the awesome responsibility. That's why we forgive and absorb the wrong of another. That's why we're long-suffering. That's why, that's why a soft answer turns away wrath. <coughs> and that's why we extend grace and forgiveness and consideration because marriage is a service to our partner to help them grow in, grow in their love for Christ. And when that is lived out in a practical way, that unconditional love of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is glorified. And that's just the opposite of what we see here, isn't it? Instead, we see selfish ambition. Well, Jacob must, be, must have been satisfied that he's not going to get busted. He was willing to take the risk, so he, he follows through with his mother's instructions. Verse 18, he went to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. And he says, Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. Lie built upon lie built upon lie, isn't it? That's how it goes. If you tell one, you've got to tell another to cover the first, and on and on it goes. And that's the flesh, isn't it? And, what's, and, I, and you recognize that, didn't you, through here, that what we often do in the middle of those lies is we spiritualize it. He says, The Lord brought me the game. That spiritualizes it. That makes it okay. What a tragedy to drag God into your lie. But we do that at times when we want something outside of considering God's will. We say, well, I prayed about it. As if that's a free ticket to have what we want. I prayed about it. Or it's for a good cause. As if that's an excuse for disregarding God's perfect will. And it never is, is it? 
Or some people might say, well, surely God would want to give me the desires of my heart. Oh boy, where would that lead you? You know, we spiritualize things. We, we, we put it in, Christian, in a Christian context to get what we want at this, while we kind of deny our conscience that is convicting us all along the ways. We must recognize that the end never justifies the means. Even if we think there is a good cause or a good reason or the good me or a good end. Because God is really concerned and instructs us about the means to living life. That's his concern. He tells us how we ought to live, the means by which we live, the way we ought to live. And then he takes care of the end, the results. That's up that's what the, that's what he takes care of. We read in Psalm 37 Verse 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You've got to delight yourself in the Lord. That's what God's concerned about, the means of living. Delighting ourselves in the Lord, which means delighting in his word and in his ways and in his person. And he's going to give you the desires. That's where they come from, because then your desires are his desires when you delight yourself in the Lord. It goes on to say, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he'll bring it to pass. See, God's going to take care of the ends if we if we focus on the means. The means is learning to love him and, and serve him first in our lives in living in the fear of the Lord and honoring him. The end never, never justifies the means, and yet so much of that is going on even in Christian, the Christian realm today. And we repeat the same error of Rebecca, thinking that we can accomplish God's will according to our plans. And in, in, in doing so, What's come to today in the day and age in which we live where more and more even so-called Christian outfits are calling, considering the Bible a little outdated. It's not relevant today. And so we have to come up with a new and improved version of how God would have us to, to live life. When in reality, God's word stands forever, which means it crosses all generations, doesn't it? It's always relevant. Well, I wonder here, if Jacob was nervous during this time. You know how it is when you're being deceitful, manipulative, lying? Was he sweating? Was his stomach upset? Did his armpits itch? Armpits itch? That may sound funny, but that happens when you get nervous. At least some people, doesn't it? You just get itchy all over. And, and that's what guilt does. The fear of being found out does. He was he is probably sweating like crazy under those hairy skins on his arms. And that alone should have been a source of conviction, shouldn't it? When his conscience was pricked. Well, rest is found out when we're right with God, isn't it? Isn't that the delight? When we're right with God, there's no worries. There's no guilt. It doesn't mean we live perfectly. Being right with God means we've, we've admitted wrong when God's revealed to us our wrong. We confess it. We just agree with God. And when we're right with him, there's rest. There's no itchy armpits, upset stomach. Or guilt that keeps us up at night. There's rest, isn't it? When our, when our right with God and our consciences are clear before him. Well, that's definitely had to be absent here. Well, Isaac proceeds in verse 25. And he said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing. See, he, she had that covered. He was wearing Esau's clothes. And he blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, 
and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. And so he proceeds with the blessing. Now again, we don't know whether he was aware of God's plan or not for sure. Many believe he was aware. But nonetheless, he proceeded to pronounce the blessing upon Jacob. And this blessing is one of bounty, typical, the first part of this blessing of, of bounty and fatness and abundance. But in verse 29, we see a little bit of a note of the blessing that God, uh, the promise that God made to Abraham, which was passed on to Isaac, and it will be passed on to Jacob, that in him the nations of the earth would be blessed, and God would bless those who bless Jacob or Israel, and, and so on. And so we see here Isaac, by faith, carrying on his responsibility to pass on to Isaac not only the rights of the firstborn, but the rights of the Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenant to his son. You know, what is interesting here is that God in his sovereignty accomplishes his will in spite of us. That's, that's the amazing thing of the sovereignty of God. There's nothing godly about this, these, these actions in this chapter, is it? God wasn't it directly in this, and yet he accomplished his will, and that's the, that's the ability of God to work his will in, in, in amongst people, amongst nations, even when their hearts are not right with him. And that doesn't make it right, however, just because the end was accomplished, does it? And you know, sometimes in our own pride, we get so hung up on our abilities, on our wisdom, on our methods, or on our plans. And we put our trust in them. I was having a discussion at family camp about, about different ways to present the gospel. And there are some organizations also that promote certain approaches to presenting the gospel. And, you know, we talked about four specifically, and all of them are good. All of them have a validity. But you have to be careful when as an organization or a church or a pastor, when you promote a singular method for presenting the gospel, the good news to people. Because what happens is you start trusting in your methods. Isn't, isn't that what happens? We think this is the way, this, this, this really works, this is how it gets done, and we forget that ultimately wooing people to Christ is the work of God. It's God the Father who draws, it's the Spirit of God who convicts, according to the book of John, and it's the work of God. And, and in reality, witnessing is about people. And when you deal with people, you have to listen more than you have to talk sometimes. And sometimes if you, talk, if you listen, you find out, though, they need elements from all the, all the different methods to, in order to answer their concerns and their questions and their confusions. You have to listen. And so sometimes we get hung up on our plans. And, and some of these, these approaches, I know the people personally, and there's a tendency to think this is the way to do it. This is what really works. And, and it may. And there's times when each one of those plans may be valid. The approaches may be valid and, and useful. They're not unbiblical. The problem is, where's our trust? Are we trusting the Spirit of God to do His work while we, and however we present the good news of salvation to those around them? And that goes for all areas of life. We tend to put our trust in, in our own wisdom, and yet in 1 Corinthians 1, we're reminded that God is used as the foolish to confound the wise, don't we? The wisdom of God is greater than men. And it is in our foolishness, in our, in, in our inabilities, that God can make His power known 
And that's why that chapter ends with, let him who glories, glory in the Lord. Because it's God who does the work in spite of ourselves. And that's part of the humility that we need in our lives, isn't it? Well, Esau walks in, and some think that, you know, it says, verse 30, that they, the boys might have almost crossed paths as they came in and out. Verse 30, now what happened, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father, and his father said, let my, and, he, and his father, and his let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. He was, he was upset when he realized what happened and said, what, Who, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, my, me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. But your, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Esau, we find here, is obviously greatly upset because of the deception. And yet, in the life of Esau, we see really a man who, has, as these pages unfold, a man who was an ungodly man, who had, didn't, have, didn't have respect for the ways of God. He, his passage mentioned that he had previously sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. I, Jacob really didn't steal it. He may have connived to get it, but Esau willingly sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Back at the end of chapter 6, we see that he, Esau had married two pagan women, ungodly women, disre disregarding the separation that God's people were to have, and which indicates to us a, a simply disregard for the ways of God. Esau was a man of the earth, and here, once again, he, he, he reaps what a godless life reaps. He experiences a loss of hope and living life apart from the direction of the word of God. Now as tragic as this is, from Esau's perspective, Esau apparently wasn't, wasn't taught to trust the Lord in whatever God allows. You know, in a situation like this, when we're wronged, you know, the tendency in the flesh is to despair. And woe is me and so on. It is a tragedy. We don't want to minimize that from Esau's perspective whenever a person is manipulated and deceived. But God tells us in whatever situation we're in to be content, whatever situation we're in, to trust him. And, and apparently Esau wasn't taught to step back and trust the Lord in whatever happens in his life and whatever God allows in life. And that's when the tests come, doesn't <laughs> it? When the worst of things happen to us, are we willing to 
trust the Lord. Maybe when we are abused, misused, are we willing to trust the Lord with what he's allowed into our lives? You know, and, and, and that becomes the, be, the, the basis for healing. But when we respond in selfish despondency and despair, it leads to disaster in reality. Verse 41, notice it says here, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. He had enough respect for his father. I mean, he was his father's favorite that he was going to wait until Isaac passed. But then when he was gone, his plan was to kill his brother. Tragic, isn't it? That's, how, that's where this had come. It started way back with the, with the favorites the parents played. Did it not? And it came to this point. Rather than trusting the Lord and asking God for how to recover from this situation, what God had for him in his life, and to trust the Lord with what may have not only brought despair but confusion, he allows the flesh to become what it typically becomes, vengeful, vindictive. Wants, wants his own pound of skin and, and really wants to kill his brother. You have to wonder, when the Bible tells us in the beginning, when, when the parents each favored a child, if they thought it would come to that point, that favoritism would lead to the desire of the one to kill the other. Well, going on here, we find that Rachel also reaps for her actions here in the short term. It's verse 42, in the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. Bless you, Rachel. Rebekah. Rebekah, so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved of both of you in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? In reality, in that day, she lost both sons, didn't she? She lost both. She lost Esau, whatever relationship they had, had to be completely shattered. And then she was going to lose Jacob, at least his presence. To, she had to send him away for personal safety. And she was blinded to the fact that, that the things that Esau might forget. That's not something he's going to forget, is he? And that's what happens when we assert our will, or she asserted her will, with no regard to the leading of God. Let's go over to Galatians chapter 6, if you would please. Galatians chapter 6. Just familiar verses. But this is a lesson in reaping what we've sown, isn't it? It's a simple lesson of choices that are made, seemingly maybe harmless at the moment, but when they disregard the ways of God, destruction ensues. Galatians 6, verse 7 reminds us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what a man sows, he will also reap. And that starts out with the fact, don't be deceived. God has some fixed laws, principles, dynamics in, in place in life that when we sow, we're going to reap. It's going to happen. We don't th we're not going to escape the, the, uh, the um, 
fruit of the flesh, nor the wrath of God. Verse 8 says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, and he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And don't let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. It makes the choice simple here, isn't it? It seems pretty straightforward to us. But it can becomes complicated when our plans and desires and priorities compete with putting God first in our lives. When we fail to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and love our own self, our own ability to love our lives. We, as we mentioned last Sunday, the lie that, was, that people believed was the original lie of Satan, that you can be as God's, which means you can run your own life maybe better than God can. And when we assert our will above the will of God, and that just complicates it, life, it sets a course for destruction. That's what the Bible says. Don't be deceived. These things will happen. It's going to happen. That's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a warning from God, but it's almost as of a promise from God because it's a fixed law. But not only is the consequence of reaping destruction... sure to come true, or corruption, as it's stated here, so is the promise of everlasting life. When we choose to trust God, when we choose to, to deliberately choose God's way, and in fact, it's at, at those times when our desires com compete with the, with the will of God that we must deliberately choose God's way and simply trust Him. I think we talked about that Wednesday night, the just shall live by faith. God asks us to simply trust Him. Trust him with our means or the way we live, and he will take care of the ends. And the ends, and the blessing, is abundance, isn't it? Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Why don't you turn with me maybe in closing to Deuteronomy 32, just kind of a verse that kind of jumps off the page. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Here in Deuteronomy 32, we find what's called the Song of Moses. And it's really a song that, is, that follows the theme that we find in the late chapters of Deuteronomy, that a warning giving uh, and a blessing given to Israel. And he warns Israel, tells Israel that if you obey, if you, if you honor the Lord, you'll be blessed. And God will fulfill his promises and you'll have bounty and, and joy and, and the fullness of life in the land. But if you don't, you're going to be cursed and you're going to be I'm going to allow other foreign nations to defeat you, and so on. So it's the same blessing. You might say Deuteronomy 32 is Galatians 6, 8, and 9, expanded version. It's really saying the same thing. And it, it's really that simple in our lives. And those, and those decisions are made in the daily routine of life. And that's why it is so important for you and I to meditate on the Word of God before our God, to get down on our knees humbly before God as we honor His living Word, His eternal Word, and, says, and say, Lord, show me me. Because if, if I am entertaining anything in my life that is contrary to your will, it's going to reap destruction, if not in my generation, in the next, as we saw with Rebecca. And God will. And when you choose life, when you choose God's way, there is great blessing that awaits. Safety awaits. It's an insurance policy for the future, you might say, for spiritual abundance. Well, here at the end of Deuteronomy 32, verse 45, we're not going to read the whole song. You can at your, your leisure. Monish, verse 45 says, Moses finished speaking all these words to Israel, 
And he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law, for it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. It's not a futile thing, an empty, useless thing. And Moses is saying this is critically important, that you are careful to observe all the words of, of the law, and when those points of decision come in our, in our lives, that we choose God's way. What a different story this may have been if from the beginning Isaac and Rebekah had lived their family life as God intended, to honor him, to love one another evenly and thoroughly and fairly, to honor God's ways, and yet that's not the choice they made. And years later, they, they reaped the terrible consequences we read about. And God says here, in the same note of warning, it's not a futile thing. This is a serious thing. Take heed to the word of God. And when you do, when you choose life, because it is your life, you shall prolong your days in the land which you go to possess. And that represents the abundance that God has for his children when they're willing to honor him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your Bible here sets before us um, the wrong way to live, Father. The, uh, it tells us this, this sordid story of, of the consequence of allowing the flesh to dictate, allowing the flesh to direct our lives, so asserting our will above your will, Father. And I thank you for the honesty that is set before us here, Father. And may we take heed to this example, this bad example. May we recognize, Father, the the flip side, the other side, that when we choose life, when we choose to honor your word with our whole heart, when we seek to reap to the Spirit, Father, there is great abundance for those who are willing to honor you. This is not a futile thing, Lord. You tell us it is an important thing that we consider in our lives. So may we consider it, and may you apply it to our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.